Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirrors political podcast. My name is Jason Beatty and I'm joined today by the Mirrors Deputy Editor-in-Chief, Alison Phillips, and our special guest, Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy, thank you for having us here. We are recording this in your House of Commons office and we're going to be reflecting on a tumultuous 2017 and looking forward to what 2018 has in store. As I said, it's been an extraordinary year in British and international politics. We've seen a general election, the tragedy of Grenfell, Donald Trump take office, terror attacks, the rise of Emmanuel Macron, the fall of Mugabe, and of course, Brexit. And it's also been an extraordinary year for you personally as well. I mean, um, you've gone from somebody who was almost zero in the ratings to the hero of Glastonbury. You confounded your critics. Um, by almost winning a general election, and you've reshaped British politics. And I'd kind of like to start with that, because you went into this year with, let's say, quite a difficult background, where, you know, was the problems with the Copeland by-election. You did indifferent, let's say, politely performance in the Metro Mayors. You were 20 points behind in the polls. Theresa May caused this snap election. And when was it you first... Realize when was it kind of a moment that there was this change in your fortunes? I always felt there was a feeling in the whole country that they wanted to do things differently. That people were not happy with the falling wages, with the in lack of investment in public services, and the way in which young people are often denigrated, indebted, and not properly supported. When the election was called, there was a debate in my office about what do you do now? The election has been called. You've got to have a meeting here, meeting there, meet this person. <laughs> Indeed, in this very room, coincidentally, there was a meeting with a number of trade union uh, general secretaries. They were coming anyway. They didn't know the election was going to be called. And so my first thing was to meet them for all of 10 minutes. and just said, basically, I'm getting out campaigning. And then went back into my room. And then various people came in with lots of good ideas of how I should spend the rest of the day. And I said, no, I'm going to Birmingham. He said, why? I said, because I promised I would. And I went to a carers conference in Birmingham and spent the afternoon talking to carers. And um, something there told me that um, they were not very interested in the appeal that Theresa May had put in her statement. They were more interested in what we would do. And these are people who clearly are carers of others and not necessarily very political, but obviously want things to go well for the family and people they're looking after. Then that weekend, when it really, I really realised how massive our campaign was going to be, was we'd been in Manchester and I was we were driving southwards and we went to Warrington to, um, I was asked to go and start a canvassing session for Warrington South Labour Party. And they gave us the address, and we we went to um, look for the address. Semi-detached house in a road on a big estate, um, of similar semi-detached houses. And driving down the road, and there was this huge crowd in a garden and in the street outside. I said, uh, "Can't be that. It must be a wedding." <laughs> <laughs> so, it was at indeed the house, and there were like two or three hundred people there, ready to go campaigning, and they hadn't even selected a candidate. So uh, we got everyone together and I said a few words to them and then we knocked on a few doors and they all went off campaigning. Then um, we drove off south down to Crewe and um, again I was said, 
go to the town square and just wish these group of canvases on their way. I said, how many people knew it? They said, oh, 15, 20, 500. We had a rally. So it, and it was, you then realised that something had happened. And the other big issue for us was um, obviously getting the campaign up and running. And the following, uh, during that week, it also had been to Croydon, where we sent out a message on social media saying, um, I'll be speaking in Croydon in the High Street, Nathan Centre, at four o'clock. We sent that message out about two o'clock. 500 people and you realize there was something happening the other thing was about voter registration all the young people not registered to vote and we had a window of opportunity of about two to three weeks and we encouraged everyone to do voter registration interestingly conservative party put nothing on their website about how to register we spent a great deal of time supporting that and lots of other people did Stormzy and some of the others came involved Two million people registered. Mm, it's huge. And I mean, because it just seemed to, to grow and grow throughout that period. But were you, despite that, surprised at the enormity of the success on election night? I mean, I, I, I didn't well, win, but I mean, it was still a I huge success. I always felt we were, we were um, picking up a lot of support and we were doing well because of this enthusiasm of a very diverse group of people. I looked at the rallies I was doing and I did a very large number of public events around the country uh, and they, were, they got bigger and bigger but it was the diversity of the mm. crowd and um, I remember saying to the rally in, in Gateshead outside the Sage, it was huge, it was raining throughout and there were eight, ten thousand people, it was massive and I just said at the end, I said, they say we haven't got any power look around you. You're black, you're white, you're young, you're old, you're men, you're women, you're gay, you're straight. You've got disabilities, you don't have disabilities. What are you all here for? Because you're united mm. in what you want. I just felt that we were getting that amazing levels of support and I was very proud of the way in which um, so many people just came in and ran campaigns in their own local communities and we gained places everybody said were impossible. You said we're going category. Yeah. Nobody so what would you say category. then? Not even me, actually. So looking back over the whole year, what would be your high point? Was it from the Oh, campaign? Wirral Beach. The West Kirby Beach on the Wirral. Yeah, where West else? Kirby. <laughs> well, where else? Because we had two... Well, that day we had three, three or four events. It was... We started in Birmingham with a rally, an indoor rally, which was very strange. So I'm speaking in the middle of a sort of quadrangle of people. So you've got to keep telling them. Mm. You always don't want to leave some. Like, oh, sorry, I don't, want to, don't want to be offensive to you. Yeah. So it probably looks terrible on television, like it looks terrible on this podcast. But then you're looking around like this, it doesn't look so good. Yeah. Um, then we drove to the Wirral. Um, and the M6 was closed, so we had to go a sort of circumventing route all over the place. We visited um, a care home with Margaret Greenwood, and then we went to this rally on West Kirby Beach. Uh, it was just thousands and thousands of people there. And somebody had come on a horse as well. The horse was a labour horse, I was assured. <laughs> I was sure that a horse had a bit of horse sense, shall we say? Get it? Christmas time? Very good. Horse very sense, good. yes. We'll just say that for crackers. So it's factually correct. And you just got the feeling that there was, that A, she was going to win in um, her constituency, but also there was this 
uh, we'd actually created something of a movement. And then after that, there was We're All Live on at Tramia Rovers. And I went there for, it was We're All Live Music Festival. And um, there was some debate about whether I should do this or not, because politicians setting up at music festivals. Yeah. People don't go to music festivals to hear speeches, usually. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So I went there and um, spoke for five, ten minutes, I suppose, about working class culture, football, music, and the way in which there's so much music in young people and so much of young people's lives are frustrated mm. at what they should be able to achieve. And a lot of people started chanting, but I couldn't hear what they were chanting. So you didn't hear it good or bad? Well, it, was, it turned out to be very good, but I couldn't, I couldn't hear it. I know they're chanting something, and you're not quite sure. And if, and if somebody chants something against you at a meeting, the thing is just carry on. Yeah, you, yeah. you don't respond, you yeah. carry And then I realised they were all smiling, so I thought, that's all right. <laughs> there must be times you have to pinch yourself when you think where you were five, six years ago. It's a different world, yeah. But it's still me. Yes. Is it? Or do you sometimes become befuddled about Yeah. I live where I live. I do what I do. I talk to the people I've always talked to every day. And uh, mm. yeah, of course, it is a different life in the sense of far more scrutinized than ever were before. But um, you have to remember why you're here and what you do. You have, you become do you feel that you've had to bend to um, fit the kind of some of the rules of the establishment in terms of you know what's the way you have to look, what you have to wear, what you have to say, how you have to? You wouldn't believe the arguments in my office about that. <laughs> you would not believe. What we refuse to be to bend. Put it this way: there are robust conversations. Do you get cross then with them? No, no, no. Does he really. shout? No, 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 I'm not. I'm a basically um, fairly relaxed person because um, if you get stressed, it's not going to change anything. So you just got to get on with it. You just got to do your best, mm. uh, but never forget why you're here mm. and what you're doing it for. And um, I've been very privileged in my life to meet such an amazing variety of people. I mean, people in my community and constituency, people you meet all over the country and even in other countries as well, uh, from hugely different walks of life and the wisdom you can get from them. Mm. I think you've just got to have enough respect for everybody you're prepared to listen to them. Uh, the arguments in my office, such as there are, are the ones you just referred to, and the other one is the amount of time that um, I am quite happy to give uh, talking to people about different things that they're worried about. Because if elected politicians don't listen to what people are saying, then you end up deciding what's good for them. Yeah. And that's where it all goes wrong. So what, have, what is the, the challenge for Labour in 2018? Where do you want to be by the end of the year? Um, we've got um, a number of challenges that we've set ourselves, quite honestly. One is, we want the party to be more democratic. We've set up a democracy commission in the party. I want more participation in the way that we develop our policies because we had a very good manifesto. And that is the base of our policies, but it does need some work on it. How a national education service will work and look. 
how national care service will work and look, um, how we will ensure that our rail system works for the good of all and not just for some private companies. Same with the water industry and crucially issues of funding of local government particularly as well as the health services. All those kind of issues need detailed work on them. And then the huge issues like environmental strategies and policies and the post-Brexit world for Britain and how we develop our economy in line with Europe rather than in competition with Europe, shall we say. Um, that's one. The other political challenges are we have um, electoral hurdles to overcome. In the May council elections, there's council elections in London and Birmingham, Newcastle and a number of other cities, and we'll be working very hard on those. I have a um, campaign plan that I follow every week, which is essentially spending two to three days a week in different parts of the country, traveling around a lot. And all of the events I've done ever since the election have always been a combination of a long talk with people privately or in informal groups in community centers or factories, workplaces, colleges, all kinds of places, followed by some kind of um, public rally or event. And um, I go to Scotland at least once a month because and, um, it's all interesting and all begins to achieve quite a lot and I do know the rail routes of this country Very extremely well. well. <laughs> do you think there'll be an election next year? Well, I think and hope are two different things. I hope there will be one. I think there could be one. I wouldn't put any hope on that. It depends very much what happens in the Tory party and how their rather um, strange relationship with the DUP develops. Mm. So you think that would bring them down rather than contradictions over Brexit? I think it could be anything that brings them down, but clearly they have problems on, um, on the direction of travel because on... Brexit in the same weekend they essentially said we're going to try and negotiate with Europe and then David Davis announces he wants um, CETA plus 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 whatever that means as a Canadian uh, trade treaty which is very very different to the kind of trade arrangements we have at the present time. Yeah but this is also a challenge for, for, for Labour as well because yeah. as we get closer to a deal you're going to have to spell out exactly what you want from the UK. Well we have set the general format in that we campaign for remain and reform the referendum went the other way we've accepted the results i recognize two-thirds of labor supporters voted remain and a third voted leave disproportionately across the country massively remain in london and one or two cities massively leave in older post-industrial areas or areas that have been left behind um, what we want is to regulate our society and economy uh, to protect workers' rights, consumer and environmental rights, which we already have through European legislation, rights of EU citizens to remain in this country and continue working here, and um, a trade relationship, which means that our manufacturing industry will be able to continue trading with Europe. If we end up with not having a trade agreement with Europe, then it is very serious for the big manufacturing industries companies such as Nissan, BMW and Ford mm. and um, 
the supply chain, which is partly in the UK, but also elsewhere, but also recognizing that they have developed industrial production, which covers both sides of the channel. And the Ford engine parts cross and recross the channel several times before the engine is finally finished in Bridge End, and then the whole engine unit is shipped back so to Germany. The position is you would still keep the options staying on the custom team on the table. What we'd do is say what we want, and we've argued, I think, fairly successfully for, is a transition period that keeps us fully in the customs union and single market. We want something of equivalence of that, and I have made that very clear to the many EU negotiators negotiators that we've met, and the many discussions I've had with um, socialist parties in um, Spain, Portugal, France, Sweden, Germany, and so on, we've kept... We've built up very good and effective relationships across Europe on this because I don't want us losing jobs. Uh, I recognise the will of the of the referendum, and um, we don't want this country to go in the direction of being some kind of um, low corporate tax environment on the shores of Europe, which would actually undermine the European economies as well as obviously damage living standards here. Do you have any sympathy for Theresa May in the? awful position that she's in trying to sort of get through this Brexit situation, or, or any sympathy generally? Well, I, I have human sympathy for anyone in difficulty. Um, I think that uh, many of the problems the Conservative Party have are of a fundamental nature of their division. There are those that see some kind of imperial grandeur as mm. beckoning, it isn't. No. The world is not the late 19th century, this is the 21st century. Um, and uh, there are those that see uh, a raw free market economy as the way to go. It's not. That is one that will have greater inequality, mm. greater injustice, and much worse public services. I think what we're putting forward is credible and sensible. Um, just switching subject slightly, sure. you've got the year of Donald Trump as well. You know, we've had this mm-hmm. extraordinary character in the White House who's kind of been, you know, sided with white supremacists, tweeted or retweeted messages from Britain first. He's coming to London in February. Would you meet him? And what would be your message to people? My message to Donald Trump is, is, is this. You represent a country that has been through some amazing social transformations. The growth of the civil rights movement, the way in which um, Martin Luther King, as an example, stood up for the rights of black people and was assassinated for it, and those people that struggled. Um, And then you retweet stuff that is unbelievable, that is racist, such as the stuff from Britain First that he retweeted in, in this country. Please think of the people that you have the honor to represent uh, before you you do that, and I would also like to say to him that um, you might have some disagreements with the Paris Climate Change Accord, but do you know what? You and I live on the same planet. Do you know what? You and I breathe the same air. Do you know what? You and I both rely on the same oceans. If we stuff the oceans with plastic and we pollute the air, we all suffer. If you, very powerful world leader, can support the climate change agreement and pursue an agenda of ending the pollution we're making of this planet, then you will serve future generations well. If you deregulate and allow it to get worse, future generations will suffer. And you know what, you might yourself. So you would encourage people to turn out in protest? 
turn out and give him give him that very 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 clear message and the way in which that he sought to promote the ban on Muslim travellers, the wall against Mexico, is something that I find quite awful. And I was asked a question when he was first elected, where would you take him if he's in London? And I said I would take him to my constituency to um, meet Finsbury Park Mosque because it's a mosque making a great contribution to the community. And when it was under attack this summer, who turned out? the rabbis, the priests, the vicars, and the people to support them. People do do things together, you know. They do. And then, um, that's bef before before we finish, I must talk to you about Christmas. So, uh, do you have a very traditional Christmas in your home? No, not really. Um, I, uh, I like to start Christmas with a bit of a run if I can on Christmas a run? Day. Yeah. Run. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's never too many. Well, except if you go to a number of parks in London, there are some... People that do strange things on Christmas Day, they go swimming. Yes, they do, yes. You have never fancied that, no? No way! No, no. <laughs> running's enough. I was running past them one Christmas, and they're all lining up there, ready yes. to jump in. You know, I, I thought, this is a bit risky. I should have taken a different route, but it was too late. I've been yeah. spotted. Is it you fancy joining? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. How far do you run there in a, in a normal run? Oh, it depends on how it is. Feel three or four miles is possible. Yeah, depends how I feel. And then we have like a big roast dinner. No, no, no. Oh no! No, Lara and I um, have something. See, she's Mexican, and they do Christmas Eve more than anything. Oh, so will you celebrate on Christmas Eve? Yeah, yeah. We'll oh, that's celebrate. nice. And a nice dinner with friends and family on Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah and your children yeah. and family. Yeah, that's right. So Christmas Christmas Eve is more the thing with them than Christmas Day. Yes, and then and then it's, and, and Christmas Day television. You know? Nobody, or a film, perhaps. Mm. Or and what sort of on your uh, letter to Father Christmas? Any uh, books or anything you particularly would like? Mm. Well, I got my bikes. They're okay. The bikes well, you don't need a bicycle. I don't need a new bicycle. I don't need a new bicycle. Um, I'm always interested in new and different books. Yes. And, and particularly. Uh, we all tend to have reading habits that we've developed in the most formative years of your life. So you tend to, people of a certain age really like, for example, Graham Greene or a certain yeah. generation. Yeah, There's a certain true. generation of sort of 50 to 60 year old people who think Hunter S. Thompson, Fear yes. and Loathing in, in Las Vegas is where yes. it's at. Well, it was where it was yeah. at, but it, ain't now, but it ain't now. It's all moved on a bit. So I actually quite like being given something more up to date. Oh, a or a surprise. A surprise. I love surprises. You like surprises. I like surprises. So which surprises can we expect then in twenty eighteen? Well, I know. <laughs> um, the surprises that I hope we get are the um, growing strength of the Labour Party in Britain. I hope we get um, a better understanding around the world that we've got to ratchet down the rhetoric on Korea. We've got to make sure that we protect the Iran agreement. We've got to all wake up to the refugee crisis. Yeah. I was in Geneva last month, or earlier this month rather, and I was making a speech there about international issues, and it's just, this figure keeps coming in my head. I met the UN refugee groups, refugee head, he's telling me, that the total number of displaced people seeking refuge around the world 
It's the biggest it's ever been in recorded history. It's the equivalent of the population of a big European country. They're all people. Mm. They're all trying to survive. They've all got lives they want to lead. They've all got a contribution they want to make. We can't close our eyes to it. We've got to do something about it. And so I hope that realisation comes and that um, we develop as a society into being more caring, more compassionate and realise that um, economic strength and security comes when everybody can make a contribution. Jeremy, thank you very much for speaking to us. You're our first proper guest on Mirror's Eyes to the Left podcast. Please uh, go to our website, which is uh, mirror.co.uk forward slash I, that's A-Y-E-S. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter as at JBT Mirror. Alison's at... At Mirror Alison. And I think you are... Jeremy.CorbynMP at Parliament.com. That's your email address, but I think we will do <laughs> at Jeremy Corbyn. At Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> that's my email address and my Twitter, my Twitter, Twitter address. Twitter at Jeremy Corbyn. At Jeremy Corbyn. Um, that's this is my Facebook. And Facebook as well. Thanks very much for us. Very quickly, clap here. We've got to ask you a quick football question. Yeah, sure. Mirror oh, Sport. Yeah. Okay. It's all about Arsenal, so you're like, we thought you'd like this. Okay. Oh, yeah? yeah? You ready? Yeah. Can you leave out the email address? It, yeah, we it, will. it doesn't matter if you don't. It's, no, it's, pub- it's, it's public anyway. Um, okay. It's not a problem. Quickly, on football, right, who is on your wish list for Arsenal during the transfer window? That nobody leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I want to keep Ozil. I want to keep Sanchez. We've got Lacazette. And when the three are playing together, they're absolutely brilliant. And when Koscielny's on form, fantastic. And when my mate, Hector Bellerin, gets his chance, wow, they are magic. Okay. And you know what, Arsenal they're going to do all right. Can you think of an example of a transfer buy which has really made a difference? Well, we did uh, go through the stuff of getting Jamie Vardy, and that didn't get very far. Um... I think what Arsenal need is the stability of knowing that the squad is going to be there because I do think that the September to December period is very unsettling for them. If they all know that nobody is leaving, that they're all going to be there and they've all got their chance because if you get too big a squad with too many big names in it, you've got a lot of people that are very upset because they might be great players, but they're not playing every week. And playing in the reserves on a Tuesday evening is not very exciting. This is not a shadow cabinet question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not going to... Well, you asked me to take a transfer from somewhere. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, I'll bring up Antonio Costa in Portugal and see if he can give me any transfers. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> is that okay? Thank you. That's really fun.